Hey folks, this is Jesse Cope, back with another episode of the American Soul Podcast. Hope y'all are doing well, wherever y'all are, whatever part of the day you're in. I sure do appreciate you joining me, giving me a little bit of your time, energy, effort. I'm grateful you're here. For those of y'all that continue to share the podcast and to tell others about it, Thank you all so much. I'm very grateful for that. Hopefully it helps our country even if just a little bit. Not a lot on the homestead. Still kind of warm. Leaves are... We do have some, some really beautiful color and a couple a few of our trees some of the pecan trees are yellow we've got a crepe myrtle that's got some phenomenal red leaves really dark deep red that's about it father thank you for today Thank you for you, Father, and your Son, Jesus Christ, and your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the time to record this podcast and the people that listen to it. Be with them and their families. Bless them, protect them, surround them with your angels, draw them close to you. Give them a strong faith. Help us all to seek you and your kingdom and your righteousness first, to love you with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. To love our neighbors as ourselves. Give us the courage to truly love our neighbors. The ones we don't feel like loving. And to understand that loving isn't encouraging our neighbors or supporting them in doing something wrong. To remember that just as a father disciplines the child he loves that you often discipline us. Guide our steps, Lord. Guide our nation back to you. Forgive us our sins. In your son's name we pray. And guide my words here, Father, please. Amen. I got a little off there in that prayer, but I was thinking of something while I was praying, folks, that I struggle with quite a bit, maybe you all do too. There's a proverb that talks about, basically, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase here, it's not disdaining the discipline of God because He disciplines those He loves Him, loves the same way a father disciplines the son He delights in. And a lot of times when we're going through something hard, especially if we've done it to ourselves, we get irritated with God. Uh, and sometimes, you know, we, we can't see, we feel like, which I, I think this is probably wrong more often than right, but there are some occasions, right, where we really haven't done anything wrong. We've, we've done a pretty good job following Him, um, loving Him, turning to Him each day, loving our neighbor as ourselves. 
and again, I that's really thin ice, folks, because we rarely give a hundred percent the way we're supposed to. But but let's just pretend for a minute in those instances that we have. A lot of times, I had somebody, <laughs> an older man, much wiser than me, tell me this. And said, you know, in those times that are tough, one of the things we really ought to be asking ourselves is, what is God trying to show me here or teach me? And so some of those times where we feel like it's really unfair, we've done what we're supposed to do, and, and yet something's still going wrong. Maybe we don't ask ourselves the question often enough, God, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to do? And it might be something very specific. It might be something general. It might be simply to turn to him more often and pray to him more often. And I'm not a big fan of it, folks, so don't don't misunderstand. I'm not sitting here telling you to do something uh, that I think is easier, that I enjoy. But it has helped a little bit, especially as I go through times that are just borderline heartbreaking and just right on the verge of just, you know, just just kind of a black depressiveness sometimes, folks, when you think, man, this is never going to change. I'm not going to get healthy again. I'm not going to ever see that person I loved again. That relationship with my parent isn't ever going to heal, or that relationship with my child isn't ever going to heal, or I'm never going to get that job that I just desperately wanted and have worked on for years and years and years. Or that person that I loved and poured my entire heart and soul into is never going to reciprocate that. And maybe it's something simpler. Maybe it's just a really bad week. Maybe you were sick on Monday and Tuesday, and God, now I'm, I got in this fender bender. My insurance is already high. I don't have the money for that. And then I've got to pay some doctor's bills. And now I'm going into the pantry, and there's nothing there. I got to go to the grocery store, and that costs $400, $500 a basket right now. I got to drive to the grocery store. So I got to pay for gas. And that's $4 a gallon. And you, you just start to get overwhelmed. Just try to, folks. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's a cure all. Uh, but it has helped me a little when I stop and think about okay, God, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to tell me? What do you want me to do here? Maybe it'll help just a little, folks. All right, so 
in all this, one of the great things about this podcast is I still discover things that I haven't run into uh, year after year, month after month, sometimes week after week or even multiple times throughout one week that show the need, the connection, the tie between our country and God uh, that I haven't seen before, haven't run across before, even doing this for almost three years. And so when we read this last, when we did the last podcast on FDR's 1941 message, it led me to a couple other things, and I'm going to read them today. The first is a proclamation, and he alluded to it in his Christmas Eve message. you got to remember this is right after Pearl Harbor, right? And so this is December 22nd, 1941, but it's for January the 1st, 1942. That's when the Day of Prayer had been authorized. Proclamation 2531, Day of Prayer. December 22nd, 1941, by the President of the United States of America, a proclamation. The year 1941 has brought upon our nation a war of aggression by powers dominated by arrogant rulers, whose selfish purpose is to destroy free institutions. They would thereby take from the freedom-loving peoples of the earth the hard-won liberties gained over many centuries. The new year of 1942 calls for the courage and the resolution of old and young to help win a world struggle in order that we may preserve all we hold dear. We are confident in our devotion to country, in our love of freedom, in our inheritance of courage. But our strength, as the strength of all men everywhere, is of greater avail as God upholds us. Therefore, I, Franklin D. Roosevelt, President of the United States of America, do hereby appoint the first day of the year, 1942, as a day of prayer, of asking forgiveness for our shortcomings of the past, of consecration to the tasks of the present, of asking God's help in days to come. We need his guidance that this people may be humble in spirit but strong in the conviction of the right, steadfast to endure sacrifices and brave to achieve a victory of liberty and peace. In witness whereof I have hereunto set my hand and caused the seal of the United States of America to be affixed, done at the city of Washington this 22nd day of December in the year of our Lord, 1941, and of the independence of the United States of America, the 166th. All goes back to God, folks. You see him say that our efforts are of greater avail The strength of all men everywhere is of greater avail as God upholds us. And and it really, every time I've read that over the last couple days looking at it, to me what it has said is the strength of man is to no avail unless God upholds us. 
evil men succeed for a while. Sometimes we think they get everything and no punishment. But one, the, the faith of our fathers, the faith of our nation demands us to acknowledge that there is a future state of rewards and punishments. And so eventually, someday, those evil men, when they die, when they leave this world, even if they leave it as the richest man, the most powerful man in the world, there's a really scary, terrifying fact to face that they're going to spend eternity in hell with the devil, away from God. And the other comment is that when you look at history, very seldom do the gains of evil men last much past themselves. The Old Testament's a great example of that in the, the reigns of some of the kings that chose to follow evil. And you read their name and then you really don't think about them too much else except as an example of what not to do. The strength of men avails us nothing, folks, without God. He talks about asking for God's help in days to come. We desperately desperately need God's help in the days that we currently have. So, there's a little caveat here that I have a story that I had never heard. Uh, and I'm going to read it to you. This is by John Lawson. It's titled, Humility, the Forgotten Virtue of American Greatness. Uh, and I'll read however much I can. It's a few pages. In a season when fear is a campaign tactic, and America first is conflated with American greatness, the 75th anniversary of an event is approaching that illuminates how early leaders responded far differently to a much more dangerous time. The president and prime minister on whom civilization depended to defeat fascism prayed together not just for strength in war and an enduring peace after, but they asked first for forgiveness for our nation's shortcomings. Such an expression of national humility from our president today would no doubt be savaged by many in this fervored political culture as just another stop on the apology tour, even if delivered in prayer to God. On New Year's Day, 1942, however, during the dark days of World War II, Praying for national forgiveness was the first order of business. In dreary weather, 
President Franklin Roosevelt and British Prime Minister Winston Churchill motored from the White House to worship at historic Christ Church in neighboring Alexandria, Virginia. A master of civil religion, Roosevelt had appointed January 1st as a national day of prayer, and he chose George Washington's church to observe it. The President and First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt sat together with the Prime Minister in the Washington family pew, and the rector included Washington's prayer for the United States in the service. Cecilia Sandys, Churchill's granddaughter, wrote, It would have been hard to find a more evocative setting than Washington's church for the two leaders to observe the day of prayer at this moment of maximum stress. It is not remarkable that Roosevelt and Churchill prayed together, sharing the bond of an Anglican faith, FDR belonged to the Episcopal Church, the offspring of Churchill's Church of England. They and hundreds of British and American servicemen had joined in a moving service the previous August on the deck of HMS Prince of Wales, anchored off Newfoundland. To Churchill's frustration, America had not yet entered the war. But during their clandestine rendezvous, the two leaders concluded the Atlantic Charter a pivotal policy statement that defined the Allies' aspirations for the post-war world. What is remarkable is that what they prayed for when everything was on the line. The threats that confront America today are real, but what we faced in January 1942 was existential, and all the news was bad. Pearl Harbor had been attacked less than a month before, the British fortress at Singapore was close to falling in what Churchill later called the worst disaster and largest capitulation in British history, and the workmot had driven to within 12 miles of Moscow, threatening to take an enormous counterbalance to Hitler out of the war. Not sure how much time I got left, folks. So I was going to check it. Yeah, I've got a little bit left. Yet another shock during this winter of disaster made the service at Christ Church even more poignant for Roosevelt and Churchill. On December 10th, HMS Prince of Wales, the same new battleship on whose deck the men had worshipped, was sunk by the Japanese in South China Sea. For the first time in history, a capital warship in the open ocean was destroyed by air power alone, exposing the vulnerability of the Royal Navy, Britain's lifeline. Deepening the sense of loss for the two leaders, 327 of the same men with whom they had worshipped just four months before were killed. In the face of these unrelenting blows, and knowing that military fervor would be needed for the years of bloodshed and destruction ahead, the President issued a proclamation that seems surprising today. He appointed the first day of the year, 1942, as a day of prayer of asking forgiveness for our shortcomings of the past and consecration of the tasks of the present, of asking God's help in days to come. There was a precedent from another dangerous time. During the Civil War, President Lincoln signed a Senate resolution appointing a national fast day, asking citizens to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. A president's asking forgiveness for the nation is what appears incongruous in our own time. The National Day of Prayer was not about nonviolence. It was years too late for that. The New York Times noted that, 
During the service, soldiers with steel helmets and fixed bayonets marched outside the wavy glass windows of the church. The rector, the Reverend Edward R. Willis II, already known for his anti-isolationist views, fully embraced the president's charge. In a sermon titled Pardon, Power, Peace, Willis admonished his fellow countrymen for not mobilizing sooner for the war. We are well acquainted with the sins of other nations, and we often talk about them, but we seldom think, much less speak, of our own. By far, our greatest sin is the sin of international irresponsibility. We want our country and our people to have power and prestige, he asserted, but we balk at the international responsibility which those privileges impose. Let us pray for pardon for past shortcomings, for power for the present task of achieving victory, and finally for peace, Willis concluded. The service also was remarkable as a statement of peace from another war, as described by John Meacham in Franklin and Winston, an intimate portrait of an epic friendship. Before they sang the battle hymn of the Republic, the rector explained that it would be the first time in the Southern Congregation of Christ Church that they had sung the hymn associated with President Lincoln and Northern Victory. But, he said, the current world crisis meant it was time to bury the hatchet of the war between the states. Reverend Wellis noted afterward that as FDR, Churchill, and the congregation sang the battle hymn, together, the Prime Minister, hearing it for the first time, was so deeply moved that in the middle he wept, with great tears running unashamedly down his cheeks. Sandys wrote that the whole congregation within the white walls of the church, including many Secret Service agents, sang movingly. Years later, Churchill selected the hymn for his own funeral, saying its inclusion was a tribute to his American mother. In the rain, the leaders left Alexandria for Mount Vernon, ten miles down the modern parkway, to lay a wreath at the tomb of General and Mrs. Washington. That evening at the White House, they were joined by the ambassadors from the Soviet Union and China in signing the first declaration by the United Nations. Amazingly, Roosevelt had persuaded the Soviets to include a commitment to religious freedom in the text. Churchill was amused when told earlier that the atheistic Soviets had accepted the provision, admiring the per persuasive skills of his new American friend. Roosevelt and Churchill faced threats to the very existence of our democracies with realism, faith, and a commitment to the wider world. Both were world historical figures known for their unstoppable wills, but where the world was at stake, they also had the humility to believe that our countries had to be worthy of the victory they were asking the Almighty to bless. In our time, when the greatness of America is the focus of intense political debate, it's important that we remember that we still have to earn it. I know I went over, folks. I'm sorry. We can't be great without God. We have to humble ourselves, and we are in the middle of an existential crisis in the sense, even though it's internal, folks, it's internal, that if we don't...
stop our own citizens destroying our nation, we're going to be destroyed just as surely as if Germany had come across the Atlantic or the Japanese across the Pacific. God bless y'all. God bless your marriages, your families. God bless America. Forgive us, Father. Guide us back to you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.